This is the next to last week of our Identity Sermon Series. This series has been a call for each of us to discover or maybe to rediscover who we really are, our true identity. So each week we've been exploring a different aspect of our identity in Christ, a different aspect of who we really are in Jesus Christ. And next Sunday will be our 14th and final sermon out of this series, a sermon focused on our identity in Christ. You may wonder why we've spent this much time on this particular topic. Well, the reason we've devoted this much time and effort to this topic is because we know from experience that we are easily pulled away from our true identity in Christ. And the truth is we need to be reminded of who we really are. And we need to be reminded of whose we really are. The truth is, if who we are and what we do and what we say isn't rooted in our identity in Christ, if it isn't all about Jesus, then we individually and we as a church have lost our way. So when we encourage you to stay for Bible classes right after worship service, when we encourage you to join up in small groups, when we encourage you to engage in our Wednesday night services, it isn't because we want our numbers to look good. No, we want you to be blessed by being there. See, the reason that we encourage you to do those things is because we know what happens in those places. We know what happens there. We know that you will encounter God there. It's because we know that spirits are renewed and spirits are refreshed. We know that our bonds of unity are strengthened there. We know that Jesus' presence is felt and his voice is heard there. We know that the cares of this world are put into perspective there. We know that we are reminded of who we are and whose we are there. And when we encourage you to share your prayer requests with the entire family, when we encourage you to regularly pray for others, it's because we believe that prayer is powerful and effective. And we believe that prayer is powerful and effective not because we are powerful, but because our Lord and our God are powerful. They are powerful and effective. We know that Jesus intercedes for us in prayer. And we pray because that's what God's children do. We pray because that's who we are. So we constantly encourage you to let us know what we need to pray for and encourage you to pray. That's who you are. And when we encourage everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ to enter into the water and be baptized, it isn't because of anything that we do there. No, it's because you'll find Jesus there. It's because you'll receive Jesus' spirit there. It's because Jesus will wash away your sins there. It's because Jesus will give you a brand new identity there. It's because you'll find out who you are and whose you are in the water. So I just want to say, if you haven't been baptized, you shouldn't wait any longer. We should start a conversation about that right away. You know, and I don't really care how you let us know that you want to have a conversation about being baptized. 
I don't care how you let us know that. I don't care if you fill out one of the cards. I don't, know if, I don't care if you do it face-to-face. I don't care if you text or call or email or snail mail or instant message. If you leave a note on my windshield, I don't really care. But we need to start that conversation now. Don't wait to have that conversation. And when we encourage you to identify with, to join with us as your church family, it isn't because we're doing amazing things here. No, instead it's because we believe that you'll find Jesus working through his people here. Accomplishing amazing things because he is at work here. If you've been worshiping here a while and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this family, that's another conversation that we should have. And you shouldn't wait about that one either. You see, everything that we do should be a reflection of who we are. And who are we? We're the children of God. We're the followers of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. We find our identity in Jesus. May we never forget that it's all about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning, everything that we are, everything that we say, everything that we do be all about Jesus. Father, may we point to him, may we honor him, and Father, may your name be glorified in all we do. We pray this through his name, Jesus the Christ, amen. So with that prologue, we're ready for identity truth number 11. And the truth is that in Christ, you are significant. I want to start with just a couple of simple definitions, just to kind of get us all on the same wavelength. First, the definition of significant. If something or someone is significant, it or they are important. They're of consequence. It or they matter. On the other hand, if something or someone is insignificant, it or they are too small to be important. They're of no consequence, of no influence or distinction. It or they don't really matter. And one of the great lies told by the world and one of the most destructive lies spread by Satan is that you are insignificant. That you're simply too small to be important. That who you are and what you do is inconsequential. For an example of those voices, famous philosopher and existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre said this. He said, man is a useless passion. It is meaningless if we live and it's meaningless that we die. Even the teacher, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes opened that Old Testament book by saying, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And those aren't isolated voices. No, we're inundated with voices telling us that who we are and what we do is simply too small to matter. And oftentimes those voices simply reinforce what we observe about our existence on this planet. 
So just how small are you? Just how small are we? Well, let me give you some ideas to let you know just how small you really are. You're just one of 7.7 billion people alive today. One of 7.7 billion. You're just one tiny speck on the face of the earth. So the world will say, well, then how consequential can you be? What can you do that can have any real impact if you're just one of 7.7 billion? And if that doesn't bring you down enough, go outside the city on a clear night, stare up at the sky, and realize that there are over 100 billion stars in just our galaxy. So you're a tiny little speck on the face of a tiny little speck in the vastness of the universe. So the world will tell you how consequential can you and your actions be? Or turn on the weather channel and marvel at the power that comes with a hurricane. I read this statistic about a hurricane. The average hurricane has the energy equivalent to 200 times the total electrical capacity on the planet Earth. One hurricane. If that doesn't make you feel small and powerless and inconsequential, I don't know what will. So is everybody depressed yet? Have I brought you down far enough? So the question is, is is Jean-Paul Sartre right? Are you too small to be significant? Well, it turns out he is right. He is right if you are searching for significance apart from God. He is right if your identity is wrapped up in anything other than God. He's right. He's right because apart from God, man is a useless passion and everything is really meaningless. That's the message of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? The teacher looks back on his life. He looks back for his search for significance and he sees only significant failures. He looked at the significance of his work, of his labors, and he found that that was meaningless apart from God. He had looked for significance in his great knowledge and he found it to be meaningless when it was removed from God. He had looked for significance in all different kinds of pleasure and he found them meaningless when they didn't include God. He had looked for significance in all of his vast wealth, his accumulated riches and he found that all of that was meaningless when it wasn't put in service for God. And he looked at the significance in building monuments to himself and he found that they were meaningless when those monuments didn't honor God. And so he said, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And that was true for the teacher. And it will be true for us if we find our identity in anything other than Christ. But I hope you know by now that's not who you are. The truth is you do matter. You aren't too small. In Christ you are significant. And in Christ what you do is consequential. Remember, in Christ you are the created, adopted child of God 
who's been given the rights of a priest and a bride and a bondservant. In Christ, you are God's friend. You may be an alien in this world, but you've been accepted as a full citizen in heaven. You're a citizen of heaven who's been entrusted by your God as his ambassador to the world. Entrusted by God to use your God-given gifts to further his mission. In Christ, you are significant. You see, your true identity isn't tied to your vocation. You aren't significant because of your job. No, instead, your job takes on significance because you are a Christian. And your true identity isn't found in your knowledge or your education. You aren't your degrees. No, instead, what you know becomes significant because of who you know. You know and are known by God. You know and are known by Christ. And your true identity isn't found in what you own. No, you aren't your possessions. Instead, what you own becomes significant because of those you're able to bless with God's blessings. And your true identity isn't found in building monuments to yourself. No, instead, you're content. You're content in knowing that Jesus is preparing an eternal city where all of his children will someday dwell. Your true identity, the identity you were made for, the identity you have been called to, is only found in Jesus Christ. And that identity matters. It's consequential. It's significant. The truth is, your identity, who you are in Christ, is significant to God. And the truth is, your identity is significant for God. Who you are matters. And what you do matters. You aren't too small to be of consequence to God or to be of consequence for his mission. So if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you're feeling small, if you're feeling inconsequential, if you're here feeling like you don't really matter, if you feel insignificant, I want to spend the rest of our time reminding you of just how much you matter to God. How much you matter to the creator of those 7.7 billion people who are alive today. The creator of those billions of stars that are in all of the galaxies. You are significant to the one who has ultimate significance. So listen, this is how you can know that you are significant to God and significant for his mission. Number one, you can know you are significant because God made you. You aren't an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a random confluence of of improbable coincidences. No, you were intentionally created by God. You were given an identity by God. And that identity reflects his image. It reflects his nature. We read this in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in all his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You are significant because you were created by God. Number two. You can know you are significant because God knows you. Not only does he know you, he knows you intimately and he knows you personally. To God, you aren't one of 7.7 billion people. Instead, you are one in 7.7 billion. In the 139th Psalm, it's put this way. It says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are significant because God knows you personally, he knows you intimately, and he knows you individually. Number three, you can know you are significant because God not only knows you, God loves you. In fact, God loves you even though he does know you. Your God cares about you. Your God wants what is best for you. Your God has cast his affections upon you. John said this in 1 John chapter 3. He said, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In the third chapter of John, John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You need to know you're significant because your God loves you. Number four, you can know you are significant because God loves you so much that he sought you out. He sought you out and found you when you were lost. He went to extravagant and extraordinary lengths to rescue you. And your God celebrates in having found you. Jesus taught it this way in Luke chapter 15. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You need to know that you are significant because God sought you. And found you when you were lost. Number five. 
You can know you are significant because your God provides for you. He didn't create you and then leave you on your own to fend for yourself. He didn't rescue you and then just desert you. No, he provides for you. He provides for you because he loves you. Jesus gives us this reminder, Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run, over all these thi- run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You can know you are significant because God provides for you. Number six, you can know you are significant because God sacrificed for you. You see, God hasn't provided for you just out of his abundance. No, he also gave up his one and only son for you. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can know you are significant because God sacrificed his son for you. Number seven. You can know you are significant because God has chosen to work through you. God has made you his partner in his mission. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they place it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You can know you are significant because your God works through you. Your God has partnered with you. Number eight, you can know you are significant because God has placed great trust in you. God has prepared a place for you, a place for you in his work, a place for you in his mission, and it's a place that only you can fill. God trusts you to do his work for him. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You can know you are significant. You can know you're significant because God trusts you to do the work that he prepared for you to do and that only you can do. And finally, number nine. You can know you are significant because God lives in you. You can know you're significant because in Christ you are the chosen dwelling place of God's spirit. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You can know you are significant because you are the temple of God. You're not a useless passion. It isn't meaningless that you live and it won't be meaningless when you die. No, in Christ you have found significance. You matter to God. And what you do matters for God's mission. In Christ, who are you? You are significant. You are consequential. You matter to God. You matter to his church and you matter to his mission. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, we know that we are significant because we belong to you. That's who we are. Father, help us to be faithful to you, who you have made us to be, faithful to who you have called us to be, faithful to who you have declared us to be. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's end with identity challenge number 12. And it's simply a question, one simple question. Who in the church do you need to treat with significance? Who do you need to treat as significant to you, as significant to this church, as significant to God's overall mission, so they can recognize, so they can recognize that they matter? Name that person. Treat them with significance and watch what happens within God's church. Let's stand up. Let's sing about the one who stood up for us. Let's sing about Jesus.